Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, going to tee you live with another episode of the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure, the kings, and the newest quest, now that Ascabellum has finally been hurdled and we have finally crossed that gap. We enter now the second half of the adventure, Gorgareth, which I'm sure I'm never going to get tired of saying Gorgareth a hundred times as we do. Anyway, um... So in the last episode of the show, uh, our companions defeated the strange Aboleth monster that appeared to have been plaguing the brains of many deep within Erestetting beneath the uh, the temple here in the Holy Grotto. Our our companions have uh, saved Era, it would seem. Uh, Anton, with the power of his holy magics, managed to put his hand on the freezy ice cube and ice cube disappeared. Ira popped out and was like, hooray. Ira floated up and was like, ah, uh, shit. Devils. And then that's where we ended it. We also ended it at level eight. So that's pretty cool. Uh, so who got cool stuff for level eight? Who did an ability score increase? Anton did. Klinka did. Did you put points into charisma like I expected you to? <laughs> oh, God, what? Nah, that'd be too predictable. So which one did you put it into? I got my constitution to 20. So now I have eights and everything in two 20s. Does that mean... Um, oh, yikes. Um, fucking okay. Um, the child of destiny. If that destiny involves constitution or what? Dexterity? Dexterity, yep. Well, the yep, you know... I'm gonna go fast and leave a leave a green corpse. Um, but uh, damn. Okay, so that doesn't retroactively affect your HP, does it? Yeah. Yes, it, it does. does. Yeah. So my HP went up by eight, just from Actually. that those two points, and then yeah, I get Ooh. another HP every time I level up now going forward. Neat. And Anton put his points into wisdom. I am now maxed out. So I'm best at my healing and inside is best I can do. You know, okay, I'm sorry. Ronnie, you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier, and I'm not going to put you on blast oh, yeah. for it. What were you originally going to put those two points into? Oh, I was going to put them into dexterity to even out my scores because I can't do it on numbers. 
And now listen, Excellent. I'm not saying I'm not saying you couldn't. I just think it's funny <laughs> that we this whole campaign, he's been one. arthritic, and we just like yeah. talked about him being an old man, and now he's just doing fucking cartwheels. Well, and then you he said got, he got cured by the purifying waters of Eero. Right, he, yeah. <laughs> he, he took a, a hot bath. He took a nice nice hot bath. And he came out all kinds of limber and sprite. Just flushed out those old bones. Yeah. Now it's all just sitting in there his foot. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a blood transfusion. It's like a water transfusion. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, now he's... I think that's called an enema. <laughs> did Anton get an enema in the Holy Grotto? Pretty sure Anthony just did a spit take. So <laughs> no, no, no. I, I held it in. I can't. I can't. My keyboard's right here. That's good. The conceptual space that you people can't see, but it's there, yeah. so I can't do anything like that. Well, you know. Yeah, I think we decided raising wisdom to the max was the wisest choice. <laughs> no pun intended. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but the uh, if you put the points into strength, would it have been the strongest choice? Um, mm-hmm. really doesn't work with anything else, but you know what? Um, okay, and then the other two took feats. I did indeed take a feat. Well, what did Jarzak take? I, t- I took a feat as well. Which one? I took great weapon master. Did you already have a feat? No, I did not. Neat. So, great weapon master. So, which weapon do you have that qualifies as a great weapon? It's pretty much all my weapons. None of really? them, technically. <laughs> Sorry, Jared, told you that. No, I know. <laughs> well, that's why I was like, wait a minute, you don't even have a great weapon. Were you trying to pull a fast one on me? You were, weren't you? <laughs> you thought I wouldn't call you on this, didn't you? You know what? Now it's live on the stream for everybody to know. What are you doing now? I'm reading because I wasn't done with this, and then you called me out <laughs> first for some reason, and we're insistent I go before Anthony. Wait, hold on, why. hold on. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting a, an, an invasive message. Anthony, what did you say that you got for a feet? Uh, I took Dwarven Fortitude to bump up my con a little bit. I didn't get a bonus from bumping up my con, but it went up. Um, and I can spend a hit die to heal myself uh, whenever I take the dodge action. Not expecting to get a lot out of it, but you take a little bit more punishment when I absolutely need to. Yeah, I mean, on those turns where you're moving and you know you're not going to get there anytime soon, you can potentially heal up on the on the jog. Yeah, exactly. You're more of a dwarf than you were before. <laughs> He's Lord of the Hall. I wouldn't say that if I were you, okay, Lantern Boy? Yeah, but he's got a feet called Dwarven... What was it? Dwarven Fortitude? <laughs> Dwarven Fortitude. Fortitude, yeah. Shouldn't you actually have to your that? Brain, Anton? Well, you know, you'd think that, you know, certain things, you know, people would just have access to, you know, sort of like how Tieflings get spells when they level up. Yeah. But Wizards of the Coast doesn't like standard races, or they like standard races too much, depending on when when you're listening and what the rules are like. Anthony, well, dwarves don't... are pretty stacked as a race. I mean, they either get an armor or weapon proficiencies and they get the poison resistance. 
Yeah, but you don't get pointless random stuff, and that's, that's stuff true. That's fun. That's true. Would you like me to give you a pointless random thing? Yes, actually. You have an advent. You have a advantage versus intimidation, but only a, on Hot Pickle Tuesday. But only on. Hot, <laughs> you know what? Fine, I'll take it. Wait, was it Hot Pickle Tuesday or Wednesday? I think it's it Tuesday. Tuesday. Tuesday I did wild right. card. It was a Thursday. No, it was not a. You know what, Anthony? Okay, just because you're Lord of the Hall doesn't get doesn't give you that right. That's why he lost the campaign. Now that I'm now now that I'm king of the halls, hot pickle Tuesday is twice a week. <laughs> we have legally well, changed wait, Wednesday wait, wait, to Tuesday. Why don't you it every day of the week, man? <laughs> it's just Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, well, you see, Thursday. If it was every day, it wouldn't be special. Yeah, the the, <laughs> the pickle conservatives uh, are just too hard right now. He can't lobby against them. You know, this not is a big wing win. What would I- I was going to say, what would happen to the Dwarvish phrase of TGIHPT? Thank God it's Hot Pickle Tuesday. What would happen to that staple of Dwarvish culture? (laughs) We'd have to just go with something else. So speaking of stalling, Jared. Oh, I I picked up this feat called Warcaster. It's pretty good. So (laughs) thanks for giving me a minute to look at stuff. I mean, if you consider it, if if you want to. The katana could be considered a, a great weapon. You could consider it a die katana and have it be a two handy. You could bump it up to a d10. If you're willing to let oh, me it's do a that, long sword, right? You can I'll already do that. do that if you wield it. With well, yeah, it's it's. They need the heavy property. That's yeah. what qualifies it for the feet. So yeah, I'll consider all, it a die katana if it fits your feet. I don't think any heavy weapons are also versatile. I think that's the thing that sort of separates them. Yeah, so, so that's in my axe, catch. my axe and my sword wouldn't qualify. <laughs> yeah, so that's if, what the catch will be, though, is that you won't be able to use your sword in the meantime, or your shield. I mean, uh, shield. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's fine. I, I, they hit me anyway with the shield, so it doesn't matter. I mean, to be honest, you you've got a point there, but yeah, <laughs> that one extra point of AC doesn't change the damage. Um, only if you block. But yeah, if you're willing to treat it as a die katana, we could just say that it, for some reason, got a lot longer. You, you just walk out of the pool and you're like, huh, that's weird. That's weird. The sword leveled up with him. That's so strange. Every time I lie, the sword grows. <laughs> just dragging it behind you guys. But, um, okay. So I guess the party uh now are standing in the holy grotto of era and she stands there with a look of ruin upon her face as she looks kind of like through space and time standing here with her jaw sort of agape the sounds of the drips and the dribbles from the stalactites from above dripping into the grotto in this cavernous system here bioluminescent funguses all abound she sort of looks around and she just sort of says to herself she says i I think I think we may have lost everything. Why would you say something like that? And she says I I did my best to hold the portal. It drew so much of my power and she looks down at her hands which having seen so many depictions of her she looks more akin to the elderly form of herself than the form that you guys had seen 
like in in most of them showing her as full of life she looks like older and more like dated from this as if that was her in her prime and she looks down at her hands and she says i fear for my future and for what i've done and the cost but i would have done it all over again to protect my people and she looks up at each one of you guys and she pulls a bit of a wry smile to her face and I hope you guys feel a little bit gobsmacked by the fact that, like, there's just a, a deity just standing here in front of you guys, just hanging out. Well, I guess Cleek is laying down, but, like, standing in front of most of you guys, and she's just there. And you guys feel, like, a sense of radiance emanating from her form alone. Granted, it's kind of faint, but, like, you can feel that, like, this is a powerful being standing before you. And to see her with such, like, humanized characteristics and such humanized, like, personality... It's just very strange to think that she's not behaving in a way that's more deific and like fantastic. She she just genuinely looks kind of like anybody else and is reacting in a very like wounded and reasonable way. You know what I mean? Like she's not just like hark the day onward. She's just like oh fuck my dry cleaning. But yeah, I mean, so Klika's technically met what three gods now between the Herald of Steel uh Gomoro oh yeah Valaketh and that's a four so they really just run the gambit (laughs) you guys are getting into with all the cool peeps they sort of they're all about their own things um what happened why were you trapped under here and she looks to you with a sort of a wry smile and, and kind of tilts her head a little bit. And she kneels and like looks down at you as you are apparently laying on the ground, shifted the shield aside to speak. <laughs> and she says, I think that it would be best to explain what I need to. She says, I felt a presence. And I felt something trying to invade these lands. I did what I could to protect my people. And I used all the power I had to prevent that portal from opening. And I'm afraid of whatever happened to the lands around. And she kind of like closes her eyes and tries to like sort of, I don't know, come into more of a tuned sort of state. And she sort of shakes herself out of it. And she says, I can feel the lands around me yearning and in pain. And she looks to each of you guys again, at this point, looking literally up to Jarzak and Anton and says, I think Norhill's probably at eye level at this point, but, um, and she says, is it the case? Do the lands, do they yearn for waters? Yes, they do. What did you guys say? Sorry. Go ahead, Ronnie. I was like, you're both speaking at the same time, but uttering one single syllable, so it's just, yeah. Anson said yes. They do, my lady. Oh, Norhill's got a one-up, yeah. Uh Uh-oh, Anton. About to lose holy flavor. Um, But with that, she just kind of looks down to the ground again, and she says, I did what I could 
and it's just been so long. It was already towards the end of my my time when I, well, and she stands back up again. And you can see that even though she was kneeling in like, you know, the wet, rocky spot here that you guys are all standing on, she doesn't have a drip of water, you know, getting her clothing wet at all. Her beautiful dress that she's wearing, which flows like water. Um, but she just sort of looks to each of you again and says, I'm afraid I used much of the power I had left to block off that portal. And I went into something of a, a lost state trying to hold it for so long with such focus. And if it wasn't for you to come in and help me to free me from my captive state, I probably would have stayed in there until I, well, until the stars left and I was no more. Which if anybody's got a religion check, you can go ahead and do that or an arcana check. I'll take that too. Hell, even a nature check. Why don't we go for that as well? Or history. Fuck it. I don't care. I got a 19 on religion. History is something I can do. I got a 19 on history. You got a 7 on her arcana. But she could have rolled anything but nature. I got a 6 on nature. And I could have rolled just nature. Well, I mean, if Clinko wanted to roll for something else, that'd be fine too. It's not going to make a big difference, but unless these two are going to explain it to you. I got a nat 20 on history. Fucking okay. So with that, the three of you minus Jarzak, which I guess this is just lost upon Jarzak, but um, I guess Norhill, this probably hits you a little bit closer to home in a sense because her mentioning the stars fading harkens back to the the mythos of this campaign setting the idea that the stars themselves are fractions like small bits and pieces of the original powerful deities that sort of created the universe and they're like exploded remains sort of the embers that have shot off from the fire have shot off into space as the stars and as these stars kind of wind together into constellations different deities come to power but as the stars shift and align over time and space, which is a lot more frequent than you'd think, um, gods kind of fall out of power. So as the gods sort of rise in power, they have much more of a presence and, you know, show up in the plane of the immortals there and can make contact, you know. And that's the reason why this is so important to somebody like Norhill is Moradin is a good example of a god that has fallen out of favor and his power is still there it's just Morden's not so the idea of revering him as a god is more in a sense of like the idea of him and the faint presence that still exists all around whereas Ira's like literally standing here in front of you so seeing that her stars are slowly dwindling Eventually, she will be revered and cold and empty temples. She'll be a thing of texts. She'll be lost in tomes and, and lore, just like how Moradin is remembered only by the dwarves. As if at one point in time, there was an age where Moradin was able to walk the plain, and he was a guy who had a lot of power and was able to like lead whole marches of dwarves to glory. And as he left, the dwarves have been kind of left behind with what was left. And Klika and Anton obviously know this as well, but Jarzak has no idea what the hell she's talking about. So, and so she here 
says that her stars are fading and says that her time is short. Do you think you'd have any time or faith on your end to restore the faith of your people, the faith of your land? And she says, I don't know the state of the people. And she looks at the floating dead corpse in the water, that fish monster man, and she sort of gets kind of pulled back to reality for a hot second, and she says, is this a common sight? I wouldn't say so, no. It's like, who, Gary? Nah, he's I. He's dead, but (laughs) he was just a fish guy. But with that, she just says, she says, what happened here? Who were these people? And what have they done to my temple? Well, we thought they were your followers at some point. And she says, I don't recall much of what's happened in, I don't even know how long. I imagine the waters receded from the land as I drew the power to be able to hold the portal, but my followers would never do such a thing as whatever that is. And she has sort of like a a cold look on her face for a moment as she almost feels something answer her question in her own head. And she says, what exactly was in this place with me when I wasn't really there? Something not of this plane. Her look her look on her face takes on like a, a borderline like robotic sort of feature as if she like stares through you and her pupils dilate and she just stares into like oh shit land and she just says it was not of this world are we speaking of aberrants beings from beyond oh it would she it was certainly nothing like anything I've ever seen. I so, did say it would come back someday, so maybe you can ask it then. And she just says, being such as that, have long since wished to, to bring about ruin and destruction to all that we have brought to this world. And she kind of like gestures one hand across the waters. And she says, they have always hunted and haunted this land, seeking deities such as myself and those who follow them. I cannot say much more than that, as it's not my place, but I will say this much. I hope that that was the only one. And I hope that with my restored presence, I'll be able to help remove whatever influence they had. And so I imagine the party probably goes on to explain the strange priest, all that business with all the followers and all that, you know, religious talk they were talking about. She openly says that none of that stuff makes sense. None of it's her teachings. And she preaches sharing water with everyone and everybody's right to life and nothing about weaponizing her, her, her weapon, her, her spells or anything like that. And having heard about the uh, cone of coldness and all that kind of spooky attack stuff, It was a perversion of her magics. And again, that's not really what she's about. So with that, she says that she'd like to go to the surface and hopefully speak to the people 
of the steading? That'd be best. I think you'll find so, a good number of listening ears. And so with that, she uh, sort of gestures a hand across all of you, uh, sort of akin to Anton's blessings. And with that, everybody gains a swim speed and water walking, as well as water breathing for the time that you're within the uh, the temple here. And she just starts walking across the water, gracefully so, not even leaving ripples in the water, as if she's just a part of it. And the liquid tension sort of keeps her from leaving any influence on the water itself. And so the party walk through this place. And as you begin entering sort of like that first hall there, where there was like the secret library with this little underwater uh, uh, tunnel there, a group of priests are waiting at the top of the spiral stair. And as she peeps through the doorway and sees them all, there's very clearly a, a like a moment of cognitive dissonance as the the priests have just like this like uh, uh, as they're like quick kill the interlopers but then they're just being led by the the live presence of their goddess and they're like uh and ira just holds a hand up and she says all will be made right you will all be cleansed of all you have done wrong and i will protect you she says and ira Oh, that's funny. An age. There you go. An age of okay. salvation is at hand. There we so go. That, there you go. And so she says, I will help all of you, but you must let me and my friends go. And they all sort of just look dumbstruck at one another and step aside. And all of them have jaws nearly to the floor as she walks by gracefully. So leading you guys through the tunnel and you guys recognize your clothing doesn't get wet going through here at any point. You feel relatively weightless going through. And as you guys leave the temple, walking out the main gate there, um, an entire entourage of guards wait. And with a very similar expression, they all just kind of stand there dumbstruck as she walks out. People begin to immediately fall to their knees and lower their heads to the ground into the dust and the sands and start like bowing to her. And she stops and just raises a hand and says, rise. This is not a time for you to, to worship me, but this is a time for understanding. And she goes on to say she has returned and she has been saved from the imprisonment of those who would abuse her name and her powers and says that you guys are pretty legit pretty cool cats and saved the day and the religion and so naturally people look to you with a strange sense of like the fuck's going on here you know but as she walks right by everybody who could possibly question her and walks into the main temple here the watery hall she begins to just kind of stand amongst the waters in front of her own statue and you can see the waters in here begin to vibrantly glow and people come from all over the town and flood this place till it's shoulder to shoulder with absolutely no social distancing. And you guys standing amongst Ira, she addresses her crowd and begins to hum and then let off like sort of like a hymnal sort of like uh, Gregorian ch chant style sound. And as she sort of lets out this like whale call ish kind of like singing, you can hear it resonating in the pools of water all around you. And the entire room begins to hum with it as everybody begins to hum along in unison. And at one point, it feels like you guys with vibrations in your head and the vibrations of everybody around you, it's almost as if you're in some sort of an aquatic current all its own and being pulled in like sonically into this own wavy sort of like meditative state. Uh, at this point, everybody's health is fully returned. Max HP.
and she sort of relaxes the singing and everybody comes to like a pause and looks left and right in one another. And you can tell tons of people here are looking around with like fresh eyes as if perhaps it is the case. They themselves were charmed by the Aboleth below. They were in some sort of a held state, some trance. And it's as if they're just like waking up for the first time in months, maybe years. And so the place just starts to open up with jubilance and dalians, and people are just chanting and hooting and hollering and screaming. And as Ira walks through this crowd of people who dare not touch her, yet still scream their joy towards her, she walks out onto the front steps and she pauses for a second and says, it smells of rain pass. When was the last rain in this place? Not that long ago. Earlier today. Um, she... We met a woman named Chazelle who said she was called here by a presence and um, her last act was to bring rain for the people here and that allowed us to meet you. And so with that, she closes her eyes tightly and you see one single crystal clear diamond-like teardrop roll off her face as she says... I knew Chazelle since she was just a child. She was one of the last priestesses I had spoke to before I left and went into the grotto. She would have followed me to the end, and I guess she did. I was calling to anybody who would answer such a call, and somehow I feel like I still feel her presence. Something about the moisture in the sands and the attempt of bringing life back to the sand here. Let us rejoice in her name, for she has done well, and she died valiantly, I'm sure. And with that, she lifts her arms up, and you can see the grounds start to, like, remove the moisture in, like, little puffs of, like, fog. And they lift up to the sky and multiply exponentially into big, tufty gray clouds, and a torrential downpour starts to fall out of it. And, you know, during like a wicked hard rainstorm where the water bounces up super hard from the ground and you can see like the splash kind of bouncing up, you could swear that as Ira holds her hands up and just walks farther out into the storm and just kind of stands there amongst the rain, that the splashes around her, you can almost see something of like a spectral form of a woman across from her. And Ira just sort of stands there with her arms wide and then closes them around nothingness. And that spectral form within the rain disappears. And Ira turns back around to all of you and faces you guys and has a huge smile arc across her face as she says in a hooting voice, rejoice, children, let us all rejoice. And the people come barreling past you guys in droves, Black Friday style out into the streets and start dancing around in the rain. This rain is very similar to Chazelle's, but just deific. Like, this is monsoon rain. But people aren't bothered by it. It's warm. It's refreshing. And, you know, it's a joyous occasion. So, with that, I guess you guys are free to stay here the night and have a hero's banquet. Since this place already had some relative farming to begin with. I mean, there's food. There's wine. There's meats to be had. And the place is just all about you guys tonight. So... I don't know if you would like to uh, improv what you guys would like to do for um, an evening of 
I guess, celebration in your honor. But why don't we go ahead and we'll improv what it's like to have a night here celebrating in your honor. Uh, I know Klika would probably want to send some kind of message or notification over to Kalamaza. Kalamaza and our good friend Kick the Click to let them know that we're safe and that it's safe for them to come into town if they want to. Maybe. At least let them know we're safe. Well, judging by the fact they've been sitting in the mountain and saw two rainstorms happen in the same day only over the city, yeah. it's got to be kind of foreboding, right? They're like, hey. is that a good storm? Like, <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, they, they'll lend you horses to go hurry out over to the mountainside and call them in, and you guys can go get them in about six hours of travel. But, yeah. I, I do want to pull Anton aside at some point. Just play. Um, Anton, do you think that when you die, the sun's going to come down and give you a hug like that? I am no person of powerful importance, Klika. But didn't you I don't also- expect that sort of ceremonious departure. Well, aren't you the light bringer? So that's pretty important. Well, I think the only thing that would happen is hopefully the lantern is safe. I'm simply the bearer of the lantern, a symbol of light. Just have to make sure it's passed down. Well. To someone who can be entrusted with it. If the sun does come down, Cleek is going to lick it. So. It may burn your tongue. Cleek wants (laughs) to know what the sun tastes like. Just scorching, right? Just, oh, just tastes like Sunny D. <laughs> Very good. Get my whole daily value of vitamin C right then and there. You get too much. Get calcium deficiency because of it. <laughs> Bones turn to dust. It's a horrific fate. Happened in three rounds. Oh Norhill got it on film. Um, so with that, uh, so who would go out to get kick the click in Kalmaza? I probably would. Fair enough. I think Klika would too. Okay. So what would uh, Norhill and Anton be doing during this festival? And Norhill is probably most interested in like the feasting and stuff. So <laughs> yeah, he's. I, He's having a good time over there. Yeah, I mean, again, there's plenty of meats, lots of vegetables and fruits that you didn't believe this island, uh, this, uh, this, I guess, this area on the continent could uh, create. But yeah, there's just tons and tons of like basically charcuterie boards, like just everywhere. This is just a place that knows how to treat meats and and fruits and veggies. So it's it's really nice. You got the wrestling circle drawn, ready to take all comers. Oh, not yet. But, uh, what Norhill does, uh, what Norhill does do though, is he tells the story of exactly what happened in maybe like a more accessible way than Ira would tell it. Right? He makes it something, you know, really fun for the common people to tell each other. Tells them what the story of fighting the beast. Yeah, the story of fighting the beast and freeing Ira in you know a very heroic, almost like pulp style version. I'll let you roll a charisma check of your choosing for this, because this is still maybe a little bit of a sore spot for some folks. 
You're like, anyway, so I killed Squid God, punched him right in his fucking butt or his face. I don't know. He was a fish monster. I mean, I only got a knife, so it's probably not the best, but his whole idea is that he wants to make it so that... I, I mean, it's less of a sore spot, right? It's a day of triumph uh, for these people, not yeah, one of, yeah. you know, uncertainty and weirdness. What number did you get? Nine. I'll say that the whole time you're talking, you're still eating, and you're, like, holding a sausage and pointing it at people, and you're like, so anyway, I told that guy, listen your fish lips. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There we go. Listen your sushi boy. But yeah, okay. So people are interested in what you have to say, but it's told in a very dwarfish fashion that their sensibilities are a little bit. They're like, oh, that's so good for a dwarf. <laughs> so anyway, I punched that guy in his face and I stepped on that guy's throat. You might have known him. He was a loser. But um, okay. What about Anton? Dad's more a little bit down to business. He kind of wants to keep her up to date with what they experienced when they first arrived with the King of Azkabellum and then meeting with the Avians. But he seems like most hesitant because he kind of doesn't want to be like, well, your disappearance kind of made everyone hate on my God. Not sure if we want to do something about that. And so <laughs> I think he's going to, he's going to feel kind of bad about it. He's be like, no disrespect to you, but. I have been unable to properly practice my faith here. So she turns to you and she says in a very sober and very somber tone, she pulls you aside when there's a moment to be pulled aside. She says, you're really harshing the buzz. No, I'm just kidding. Um, she says, <laughs> she says the Abeleth, if it is what I assume it is after everybody told her about what it was, she says, and Abeleth hates the gods more than anyone and anything it can do to drive a wedge between anybody and to perversely uh, affect how people worship a god or turn people in some way against their gods. Anything to be done to harm gods is their, is their, you know, their MO. And she says the hatred of the sun god was just a, a means to make them upset with any god. It was just something to drive a further wedge between any of the worships. And she says, frankly, it could have been any of the gods that he, you know, this Aboleth would have turned people against. The Aboleth merely wanted some reason for them to be fanatical in my name and to bring people down there to be feast upon. I wouldn't be surprised if many sun worshippers who lived here, you know, nearly 100 years ago, she says, I, I wouldn't be surprised if many of them were fed to the Aboleth had their minds completely and utterly erased, tortured perhaps, she says, it makes sense to me that they would have used, you know, the Illuminator as some sort of propaganda, some sort of scapegoat for any issues that they were dealing with. The Aboleth was brilliant and probably used your faith as something to blame all their issues on, you know, with no moisture and with nothing to protect them from the sun's rays. I mean, this place could very well have been the target of harsh sunlight. She says, so I guess it just makes sense to appeal to their senses in that way. But I don't think anybody here in the right mind would hate on what you've brought to the table. And with that, she turns to the people, holds up a glass of wine that she had been drinking, and she says, let us all have a cheer in the name of the Illuminator, who without the Illuminator and his guiding light, Anton, 
of Glory Wake, the light bearer would not mm -hmm. have known to follow in this course. Sure, they may have come this way, but it's through true faith and the Illuminator's blessings that they found us, found me, and saved all of us. And with that, people all raise their little wine glasses in the air, goblets of water, and people start cheering in the name of the Illuminator. And as raindrops splatter all over the place in a cloudy sky, you feel like the sun would be coming out right now if it didn't ruin the party. <laughs> well, Anton's going to kind of use that cue to, like, basically get his vestments back on and <laughs> just immediately starts throwing them on. Yeah. <laughs> like, Dear God, I felt so naked. <laughs> Pull out your little flashlight. Basically, he's gotta he's gotta get that stuff back up. Now he's just mainly concerned with what the heck's gonna happen with this king. She's gotta deal with the fact that they want to go to war. Wouldn't be worried about that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, war is the least of your concerns. The question is, what happened to Kalmaza? <laughs> So anyway, party, uh, Darzak and Gleeka show up to Kalmaz and kick the click, who have been playing some sort of a strange game of racing small bugs on the rocks. Kick the click keeps eating them, and Kalmaz <laughs> just keeps getting so frustrated but scared of kick the click, and thus he just <laughs> keeps altering the rules to make it seem like they're even because, like, you know what I mean? Like he keeps, yeah. So you guys arrive on the stone pillar here and see them up on top, and Kalmaz immediately rises to his feet and he's like, oh, they're I'm so grateful to see you guys up here. I uh, I lose a lot in this game. Apparently, I don't even know the rules to it. Uh, and Kick the Click just stands up and starts buzzing at you guys and clicking his mandibles together, puts one hand on Jarzak's shoulder, and telepathically, you hear him mention that this guy is very bad at this game and would make for a terrible warrior. <laughs> if his bug racing skills were as good as his fighting skills, he would be a dead bat. Oh, you're you're playing eating bugs. That's my favorite. That's my favorite game. I'll play. You, you. know, <laughs> I don't know why. That's probably the funniest thing I've heard in this campaign in a while. But you're playing eating bugs. Ooh, I, as yeah. if there's just a game of eating the bugs. I mean, it's true. I mean, that's basically the game that's being played before you right now. But yeah, one v one. Let's go. We got to see who the greatest warrior is. Let's kill Kalmaza. <laughs> Rejoice. Um, and so Kalmaza, after hearing about the storm being a good one, uh, what would you guys like to do? Are you going to invite them down to the uh, parte soiree? Yeah, click a little mention. If you guys want to join us in town now, you can. You don't have to just stay up here and eat bugs, I guess. I mean, we can still eat bugs. We'll just do it in town. <laughs> no. I don't know why that's funny to me. I just... <laughs> Clicka won't. <laughs> no. Clicka reminds me of the Lion King. When the Timon and Pumbaa are eating the, the fucking bugs and grubs and worms and stuff. <laughs> like, that's just Kalmaza and Kick the Click just eating grubs. Clicka, have you ever tried it? Nope. Then how do you know you don't like it? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> drinking a rabbit flavored Capri Sun on the walk yeah. here but no eating a bug is gross <laughs> but anyway so Kalmaza summons the bats and the bats come hurtling out of the cave 
and scoop you guys up and the party and the bonus bats all go flying towards the storm over here. And as you guys stop, park the bats on an overhanging arch by the portcullis, everybody gets off their bats and partying ensues. So did Klee and Jerzak have anything they wanted to do at the festival in particular? Mm. Klee <laughs> wants to inquire about if they did anything with Chazelle's body or not. I guess five. The head of the guard is just like, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, no, I don't. I don't know what happened. There's just a head on a pike, like. <laughs> but no, with that, they uh, they mentioned that the uh, Chazelle's body just basically had a sheet thrown over it for now until they found something to do with her in the morning. Okay, I just wanted it's to make sure. Setting. She'll likely get a proper burial now, so that's fine. But yeah, Klika was a bit worried that she had been like strung and quartered or something to make an example, but that's good. <laughs> no, 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 that's the other person. Anyway, but Klika uh, will just enjoy lots of good food and drink. Fair enough. I mean, the people would suggest sending her body out to sea as a proper way of handling. You know that, or putting her in a river and having her flow out to the sea. But yeah, rivers are a little hard to come by out here now. But what about Jarzak? Is he doing anything funky fresh? Uh, yeah, Jarzak's definitely gonna try and find some children. Do I find them? Always good. Always a good line of inquiry. <laughs> a good start. Ew. And I teach him how to have a mud fight. I make Very sure good. to make a lot of eye contact over at Klika every now and then. <laughs> See? Never getting rid of these stains. <laughs> just aiming Ira's hand at them, just like fire hose style, just <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I also like the idea of Jarzak just lobbing like a handful mud pie at one kid and just thwacking him in the as, face. As hard as he fucking yeah. can. <laughs> he just gets leveled to the ground and the people all stop. Just look at him. Even just straight in the chest and just knocks all the wind out of the kid. He's just standing there, just like stuck in a position, just like trying to make his lungs work again. He's like, yeah, this is fun, right? (laughs) I got you. You're out. (laughs) (laughs) You guys suck at this game. He's like, I'm four. It's good to know that Jarzak's not strong enough to actually do that. (laughs) Not yet. So anyway... (laughs) As the uh, festival comes to an end, the storm doesn't cease at all. And uh, night comes and you guys are all given places of honor to sleep in, in some of the more regal chambers and some of the noble houses, deeming it a, a uh, I don't want to say it, a, an honor to have you guys in their homes. And sleep comes easily, rest comes great. Uh, and as the morning comes, a fresh dewy ground around you guys seems to, to show the sign that the rain has stopped and the grounds are well saturated with water. And it does seem like it's probably going to benefit the lands pretty well from this, this magical healing waters here. And Ira in the street with a following of priests following her around everywhere seems to be giving a bit of a sermon inside of the watery chamber at the uh, temple there before coming back to where you guys are and meeting you in the village square or the 
town square here. And she turns to Anton, who had made many mentions in the previous night, being a total wet blanket, and says, we should probably speak with the king of Azkabellum. Who is the current king of this place? All right, let's check our notes. King Theron Azkabellum, my lady. Dang, brownie points. And so with that, she uh, she gives a nod and she says, I do not know this king. And from what I've gathered, I've been locked away in my icy prism for about a century. So many things have changed. Is he a good king? He is not without hope. Not enough beard. Too tall. <laughs> Never seen him have a lot of free time. <laughs> and so with that, she gives a nod and she says, the uh, kings of Azkabellum have certainly gotten better over the centuries and they've learned a thing or two about being humble, kind, and a bit more charitable. And so she says, before we go, however, I'd like to stop by as many townships and, and settlements as I can to try to tell the audience that I have returned and to give them a sense of hope. If we are to truly unite the place, as Anton has mentioned that they so want to do, they're going to need hope. And the least I can do while I still have my time and my powers here is to bring rainfall, fertilize the lands, and give some hope. And so she suggests that you guys go on a week-long tour around the coastline and stop by every fishing village and tell them that she has returned. She will be guiding, providing all water, all food, and following you guys will be a nice rainy storm, keeping the temperature down, as well as giving you guys a very comfortable travel. So, does anybody have any issues with such a thing? No. I think okay. at maybe a couple days of the travel when Klika's worked up her courage, she's going to see if she can uh, ask Ira if she can heal uh, Kick the Click's leg. Well, with that, she says that she's willing to help out and provide miracles sort of like that. But even when she goes to do so, she says that her powers are so reserved to her elemental force that she, as the stars are, you know, separating, doesn't have the presence and force that she used to. And after having done the healing inside the temple, after having brought such a storm and having gone on this journey, if she heals kick the click in that way, one, she's going to feel terrible that she doesn't heal every single person, but two, she's going to feel less powerful and be drained as she's going to be taking power outside of her typical domain to do so. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Clica, Clica understands. And she says the best that she can do is offer a fertile ground with which all can have a better life rather than improve the life of individuals with personal healings. Her goal is to do as the sea does, which is to help ecologically with larger sweeping 
grandiose schemes that affect everybody in small ways. But did anybody else have any improv things they were going to do on this travel? I think Anton's just going to ask, just check in and just ask word if any of these port towns have heard anything regarding... Um, I'm forgetting the name where it came from. Amaroth? Yeah, I was going to say Azeroth, and I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> Close. Still, still not. Close. But, uh, um, just the state of Amaroth, Glory Wake, all the, all the places that they visited. Well, funny enough, when you guys arrive in Tarulo, where Barai is, uh, a few of the mercenary fishermen that arrive there, um, which I guess we'll talk about that when it comes up, but you guys arrive in Tarulo. And once you do, the place just blows up. This is one of the larger settlements here of Avians. And Barai, seeing you guys come back with Ira in, in the flesh, they are all dumbstruck. And every single village you guys encounter has a look of like, I don't know, like distrust, like a look of like, this can't be fucking right, right? Like they're all just so paranoid by this idea that you could be, I don't know, walking in with the goddess that left. But as the rain comes and everything comes to fruition like this, everywhere you go, people rejoice and people are just like so celebratory, offering gifts and praise and people chant your names and mention you all as heroes of Amaroth. But being in Tarulo and, you know, bringing along Ira, asking Barai, he mentions that a few of his brothers who have come from Amaroth have left and come here as quick as they could, leaving behind mercenary work that they had started in, you know, uh, Dustwind and mercenary work that they had done in Enton. And so they mentioned that the Sundering Spire has risen. And basically, they mentioned that some titanic metal needle, this giant tower has arced up into the sky and horrific stories of it being made of pure metal, of it being made of like metalized corpses, as if like one giant stack of just bodies climbed up over one another and fossilized into hard carbonized steel. It basically shot out of the center of Amaroth as if a stake through the heart. And people, there is no hope for Amaroth and said that most people who could get out have gotten out, said that the queen of Amaroth has officially shown her true colors and she seems to be a demon walking sometimes flying but she seems to be like revealing her true colors the armies of the Iron Maelstrom the uh, Herald of Steel's army there just walk freely in the street and everybody lives in a state of fear as slaves working to benefit the Iron Maelstrom or they have themselves been quote-unquote, conscripted to military service in a less than favorable way. Um, I'm going to give a slight chance that there's word of glory, Wake. Okay. They also mention glory, Wake has become a sovereign state and that nobody really knows what has happened there. All they can say is Glory Wake is not a part of Amaroth as a kingdom, and it is now its own theocratic state, and that it's on a hard lockdown, and nobody is allowed in. 
What on earth does that mean? Exactly what it says. But yeah, that's about all you get for information there. Theocratic mean again? I can forget. Theocratic? Yeah. It's a religious-led government, as if like the Pope is like the president. Good thing. (laughs) Are you talking about the high priest? He's a drunk. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Save the day, at least in his perimeter of power. Don't worry, my last encounter with him, I definitely didn't spike his tea with darkness. (laughs) Just stick your finger in it. But yeah, did you have any further questions? I'll give you a few questions if you guys want to ask these people. Where's the center of Amaroth? I'm I'm curious where the spire is located, if it's in the center. Well, the center is closer to Mosren and Denvilboro. Which, you know... Any of my bonus episode, homies. <clears throat> oh, those are very familiar names. Yeah. Cooperford's at the top. I wonder what yeah. happened. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. All I know is you guys weren't building a metal tower. So clearly it wasn't fucking you guys. Uh, so what happened to the orcs that were trying to attack Glory Wake? Did they stop and, them? Well, that's the thing. They look to you with a, like a little bit of a sense of surprise as if like you guys didn't know. And they say, well, the orcs basically like occupied the theocratic state. Like they became a theocracy, but like the orcs live there. Like that's their place now. And they're just like an occupied theocratic state. Like I they're mean- a sovereign state. But that's because the orcs are kind of like in charge in the theocratic little, you know, the uh, light pope over there is in charge, quote unquote. But the orcs presence is not anymore it, like it's a militarized state with them as the true leaders. Uh-huh. There's a lot of finger quotes in there. How's how's Dustwind faring? And Dustwind itself doesn't seem to be doing too good as they've been trying their best to keep everybody out. And it seems as if uh, what you guys hear here is that the Iron Maelstrom has constantly put pressure onto this place, but they're almost taking advantage of the fact that Dustwind is not associated with any of the major kingdoms and they're using it as like a naval base, sort of like, a, not a naval base, but like a like an isolated sort of base where they can occupy, take advantage of the trade that occurs here because everybody outside of here is going to try to trade through Dustwind. So what they know is mercenary work there is very hard to come by because the Iron Maelstrom is basically occupying that place too. Again, the continent has just been like overrun with these little pockets, groups of them, and the military has just stretched far and wide. Well, we're looking for news. How about Quarrydale? How are the Quarry folk doing? The Quarry folk and the the hills, the uh, the two halls there, they seem to be the safest place. But there's a lot of rumors that now that the halls are being sort of moved back into, now that the dwarves are moving back in and some gnomes are coming with them, moving back into the halls, there's word that kingdoms from the south between the passes and to the far south, apparently there's word of diplomacy 
but the antics aren't being really warmly received as people from the Southlands seem to be treating the dwarves with a level of disrespect. And so the dwarves now are like stuck literally between a rock and a hard place as the iron maelstrom moves farther south to them. And the south keeps moving north being like, well, 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 cousin. Long time no see. <laughs> We're from the third hall. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Well, if it was the, the halls of work. silver and steel. We're from the hall of aluminum. <laughs> aluminium as they say over there you know a bunch of weirdos but what a weirdo but yeah uh, so, I don't think I have the name written down but um, what about that flying mage city is there any news on that oh the Aetherium yeah I mean that's that's flying to the far north but that's not really anything these guys know about. Okay, so it's still where it was before then, pretty much? Yeah, it should be still floating up above Thor, up in sort of giantish lands there to the far north. But that's that's not even Amroth. And that's actually farther away from Amroth than you guys are. The updated map is pretty wild. But yeah. Do we have any further questions? Uh, nothing that pertains directly to any interesting lore. Um, is Norhill able to learn anything about that shark tooth axe he picked up while we're traveling? Well, I guess if you're traveling and you make any use of it at any point or like try to get some sort of use out of it. Um, if you are attuned to this weapon, you can throw it. And when you get some practice throws with it, because it seems weighted as if balanced for like proper throwing. But when you throw it, it seems to kind of like have a strange like, you know, when you're playing pool and you hit the top of the cue ball and it continues forward as you roll it and you hit it in a way that like it wants to keep moving forward. Or if you spin a ball and throw it, it'll like keep rolling forward. Yeah. The axe, when you throw it, has such a forward momentum that even when you clip trees, it keeps moving forward as if ricocheting and continuing uh, like a shark, just sort of like streamlining forward. And from what you can gather from this, if used in some sort of a combat situation, if you were to throw it at an opponent, it would boomerang around to any other opponents that were within range of it. And as long as the axe kept forward with its attack roll and you were able to keep hitting targets, it could just clip around the room. Wow, nice. That's neat. Did uh, Kalamaza end up following us, or did he return back to Hakara? He did. He went back to the bats. Kick the click, however, is enjoying the ride. Mm. Not really know what water is and distrusting it. Satiating his thirst makes him scared, makes him feel weak. Uh, Everything checks out. (laughs) He's doing just fine. But, (laughs) yeah. And so with that the uh, uh, was there any improv stuff we wanted to have from Jarzak and Norhill as we start returning farther home towards the kingdom, or at least towards the city state of Avi, before meeting with the king? I uh, know not from Norhill. I can't think of anything. Same for Jarzak. 
Okay. And so as the uh, party finish up their grand tour here, another five or so days traveling along the coastline past Tarulo, Tel Aviv, eventually they reach the gates of Avi. And the word of your little victory lap has not been missed in the city-state. And so when you guys arrive, there's horns, there are banners, the city of banners is alive. And people come to wait and uh, uh, greet you guys at the uh, the gate here at the at the uh, the bridge that you guys remember crossing oh so long ago. And as you guys approach, the people who you had taken up in your little sort of um, what do you want uh, the entourage here as you guys have traveled this way out, they all begin to take off their shoes and begin to make their way across the bridge. Ira, looking around at the people taking off their shoes. Um, smiles a little bit to herself, takes off her own shoes, and starts to proceed across the bridge. What would you guys like to do? As the king appears on the other side of this bridge, happily awaiting your return. Uh, Norhill follows suit based on what everybody else does. Um, can Anton just do a perception check just to get an idea of like what's the mood of the group on the other side? Uh, that would be an insight check. I'll do an insight. I got a nine. I mean, it seems like they're all joyous enough. Okay. He'll take off his, he'll make sure his shoes are off and cross. Okay. What about click on Jarzak? We're going footloose? Yeah. Yeah or no? Easy okay. peasy, kick them off. <laughs> those a smelly bridge. That smells of toe piggies out. Uh, <laughs> they're like three toes, three green little Brussels sprouts with a nail sticking through them. Um, we could take oh immaculate care of her feet. Thank you very much. They're pink nails on Brussels sprouts. Uh, so with that, the party crossover, and the king looks to you guys with a Big smile, and as Ira approaches, he takes a knee and lowers his head and stands up again. And he says, Ira, goddess of the waters, the currents, and the seas, I am more than gracious to have you in my kingdom, in my city, amongst my people. And I greet you not as an enemy, not as a competitor for these lands, but I welcome you warmly to my city as a friend. And if you would have me, as everybody goes dead quiet in the thousands of people in attendance all over the city here, as an ally and as co-ruler of Azkabellum. And with that, people just sit there biting nails, like cartoonishly so. And she nods her head and she says, I welcome you as an ally. And with that, everybody starts cheering. And the king nods, smiles, and turns to everybody in attendance. And... Everybody just cheers, hooting and hollering. And with that, the party are guided back to the king's castle here, the palace, with Ira. And you're brought up to your fancy little bubble dome chamber to speak with him in private. As he says, I would normally have us go to something of a banquet or a fest, uh, some sort of feast to celebrate this occasion. He says, but I'm afraid that there was an agreement that if you were to come back and bring unity, then it would be upon me and my kingdom 
to amass an army to help these people in their time of need. I'm sure you know as well as any that these fine folks coming from far and wide are purest of heart, well-meaning folks who deserve our time and attention. And with that, Ira gives a silent nod and she says, as she puts one single gentle hand upon Anton's wrist and says, without them, I would not be here. I fear no one would have survived any coming wars between our people. And for that, I am very gracious. Blessed be the light of the illuminator and all the waters that brought them here. If it is war that we must engage in, I'm afraid I wish nothing to do with it. But if it is your agreement to do so, I will stand by and support you. I will do what it takes to make Ascabellum a favorable place, a welcoming place, and a place of peace in a world filled with war and pain. I can guarantee you this. I will do the best I can for peoples, both Avian and Ascabellum. But I will not send my people to war unless they so choose to do so themselves. And so with that, he gives sort of a couple nods. And so with that, he says, but I think that what is most important with your knowledge of the immortals and your being an immortal yourself, we must speak of the one they call the Herald of Steel. They know more than I do. And I'm sure you know more than they. Please, as he kind of gestures to all four of you and says, now is your time to really ask if we are to make some sort of an effort in this as allied forces and reclaim the lands of Amaroth, we must know what we're up against. And so he just kind of gestures at you guys and then gestures at her as if like, go on. Lika raises her hand. Ira does not call on you. Clicka mm. just waits. <laughs> um, calls on Klika. Um, we've heard that the Herald of Steel killed another immortal. Is that true? And if so, which immortal? And she just kind of looks puzzled at you. She says, I've heard this name, Herald of Steel, in our travels, but you claim that he is immortal? He came from the land of immortals. And so she just looks puzzled and tilts her head and she says, I don't believe this is the case. I know I've been gone for a long time, but the stars have not aligned to bring another one who, who heralds steel in such a way. The last one to do this was from an age long ago, and his name was Galtier. And Galtier was the last immortal of steel. He has long since passed, and he passed peacefully, worshipped by many, and sort of gestures over at Norhill and says, many dwarves worshipped him for his metallurgy and smithing, gestures over to Jarzak and says and some enjoyed his warcraft but he passed peacefully and in honor and he's amongst the stars now 
well, this Herald of Steel seems very different. It seems to have a preoccupation with the breaking of bonds and masters. And if it's not an immortal, I don't know what else it could be. It entered our world through a portal stabilized uh, by immortal metal. Jarzak, show her the piece. <laughs> In true to form, the piece is nowhere to be found. But you uh, have it. No, there's a hole in my back. <laughs> the Herald of Steel just has the metal lump, the, like the MacGuffin of the campaign. He's just like, fucking idiots. <laughs> Damn it. And with that, the quest is over. That was easy. Hey. Yeah, honestly, I just wish it was over sooner. <laughs> but anyway. So... She takes the hunk of metal, which miraculously was taken with you, and she holds it in her hand, and she sort of like holds it in a way that it could have very well been like a live viper or something, as she kind of looks it over delicately in her hands. And she says, this is definitely steel with some sort of magical properties, divine truly, but you say that there was a portal here? In the depths of Boltzcrag Peak. And so she gives a couple of nods and she says, I, I don't know how one could have the power over steel in such a way without... I, I don't know. The best I can say is that somebody with immortal powers is is doing something very evil and very awful here and if this being is truly of immortal blood to what capacity i do not understand i mean it is going to be very hard to do anything especially if it is the case that new stars have aligned and he is just gaining power now how powerful was this being have you confronted him have you seen his work Yes, the creature is completely immune to mortal attacks, both mundane and magical. It is capable of raising constructs of steel and sending them to march as an army impenetrable. It seems to have some connection with the demonic as well. We know that at one point he... The Herald served the Deceiver and broke away from him. And while he was on this plane, he seemed to have some sort of alliance with Felior. And with that, she gives a couple more nods and says, I haven't heard that name in a long time either. Felior as well as very little of anything powerful here. And the stars of, of that realm of darkness are dwindling as well. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Felyur has less claim to, the, to life and existence than I do. That's strange. Perhaps, perhaps you were mistaken. Perhaps that portal is actually one of darkness and Felyur was the one to bring them through. As she holds the metal rod in her hand and looks down at it slowly and says, I guess one can only hope. Clica, Do you know at all what the plan is? 
I've heard the stories of war and conquest, but an immortal could seize these things easily. What is the plan? Did they tell you? You mentioned masters and sundering all bonds. What is that supposed to mean? Just that, I can only suppose, to make a world where no one creature is ever in service to another. And so she just kind of looks puzzled by this, and she says, so his quest ends here? Enslaving this plane? In some strange sense that he is equal as leader? Is that to be the end of this? Somehow I doubt it, but this goal is, I cannot fathom it. The best I can say is, if you would like to know more about this, you're probably going to have to go back to the immortals. If he found a way to this plane, and he was able to come to this place through a portal from the immortals, I didn't know that rhymed until now, then clearly... They must have known of his presence as well. So I suppose the best you could do is find a way back. And as she says this, the words trailing out of her mouth as if like footsteps into a giant warehouse where you hear the echoing louder than the actual footsteps themselves as her words fall flat and plain in front of her. And she says, and I suppose I would like to come with you if you did. For I haven't the strength to make my own way home. And I am afraid if I stay here, I will die the death of a mortal. And I would like to go home for my death. I will do my best to restore unity in the waters. Now that I'm free from my state, the waters will return on their own, frankly. And the king sort of steps up and he says, after all this effort and after all that we've suffered through, you're going home? You would leave us in this way? And he just stands there kind of like literally standing up at her and like looks so like betrayed by all of this. And so she just kind of like, you know, sits back in her seat and she says, what would you have me do? Pay a price for something? Am I supposed to stay here and die? I protected this place with my life and my essence, and the stars are pulling me back home. If you would all have me, I would return home with you. I would go to the plane of immortals, and I'll tell them of your good deeds. I'll vouch for you. I'll tell you, I'll tell them everything they need to hear to trust you. But this is not my place. I came here because I sensed the disturbance. I sensed fiendish might on the horizon, and I did all I could to try to block it off wherever it may be. And again, her words fall flat, echoing in this little bubble dome as she kind of says, I do hope that I prevented it for long enough. And with that, the king just like looks to every one of you guys in dismay. And he's like, are you hearing this as well? She protected us in so far that she could. And now she's not. A devilish portal is now open and she's leaving. I fear all you've done is step on a bee's nest and tell us that's all you could do. Angered bees are swarming all around all of us and we're to pay the price for what you've agitated and what you've angered. You drew the water from this place. You killed off those people and there were fanatics over your own misdeeds. Whatever you hope to accomplish, I'm afraid you did doubly in the wrong direction. 
We can. And he just sits down with a harumph. We can only hope to do the best we can with what we know. Even immortals are only operating on their own knowledge. They aren't omnipotent. They can't know everything that would be and could be. They can only take the best course of action that they believe is right. Ira gave us a century of protection and that protection came at a cost, but I believe she did not do it out of malice. We can't hold her accountable for something that happened in her absence. Klika doesn't think so. Klika thinks that she should be able to go home if she wants. And so that he gives, like, he, he's just biting his bottom lip and just angrily, like, you know, wringing his fingers over the, the armrest of his chair. And with that, she, you know, looks over to you and gives a gentle nod as if, like, thanking you. And she says, my words are not meant to anger you, King, and my intentions are nothing more than just restful. I, I wish to just return home. My time is coming short, and if I am to stay here any longer, I may dwindle and die. I don't know what good I'll serve you as a, as a dead body, but it sure won't help anybody any more than if I wasn't here. All I can offer is unity, and as you saw from the people in the street, unity is slowly coming back. People yearn for this, just as the lands yearned for water, and the water will return. The best we can do is hope that they can find a way to fix that portal, bring me home, and ask the immortals what they know. Perhaps they sent the immortal of steel here. It's hard to say why, but all we need to do now is amass that army you spoke of and find a way to fix that portal. And that is where we're going to end it. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter. Or you can even send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons.